0: There is an ache that all of us share. We may feel it in different places, but each of us has this ache. Now, it may, not, may or may not be visible to the eye, but this ache often changes the way that we live. Many of us have grown accustomed to living with the ache and limping with the ache. Maybe, The ache you've brought in with you this morning is something done to you. Somebody broke your trust. Someone betrayed you. Someone hurt you. Someone abandoned you. Maybe the ache you live with is something said to you. Something like, no one will ever love you. You will never be good enough. You just aren't worth my time. Maybe the ache you bring in with you is actually in your body. You have pain in your body, like your back, or your neck, or your knee, or your wrist. Maybe that pain is an illness, maybe a recent one, maybe one you've been fighting for a long time. Maybe um, it's been something that's really been weighing you down. Maybe the ache you brought in with you this morning is in your mind. Maybe it's mental illness or anxiety, depression, Maybe the ache is memories of things that have happened in the past or intrusive thoughts. Maybe the ache you live with is something that you have done, and those actions are bringing you shame, or guilt, or regret. Maybe the ache you live with isn't for you, but it's for someone you love, a prodigal child, a sick family member, a broken marriage, a hurting spouse, a lost friend. We have all come with an ache this morning. So the question is not, are you hurting? The question is, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? I want to begin our time today with a practice. We're going to all do this together now. So if you join me in closing your eyes, and there's nothing special about this. People are going to sneak out from the back or something. (laughs) Just closing your eyes helps just free you of distractions. So, if you're looking at me and I see your eyes, you're not doing what we're talking about here. And if you're still looking at me, we still have some problems. Let's close our eyes. Now, as you free your mind of some distractions, I want you just to focus in on my voice. And I want you to bring into mind your ache whatever it is, big or small, the thing that you've brought in this morning, the thing that you've been carrying for some time. And if you would join me, I'm going to invite you just to put out your hands in front of you in your lap. Palms up towards the sky. And I want you to imagine that in your hands you hold that ache, whatever it may be. And right where you are, Will you tell Jesus what's in your hands? Will you tell him what you have been carrying this morning? And just hold it before him now. Jesus, here is our ache. Would you make us whole again? You may open your eyes. We have been in a series entitled The House of Prayer Whereas a church, we've been stepping into all that God has for us in the place of prayer. And today, I want to talk about one of the most important realities of prayer for the community of Jesus followers. And it's this. It's healing prayer. Now, if I can be super honest with you, I was kind of nervous about teaching this sermon. And it was really difficult for me to put together. Not because I don't believe in the power of healing prayer, because I do and not because I'm worried about entering into a difficult space of healing. If you've known me for any amount of time, I'm fine having the difficult conversations. What made this particularly challenging is because it requires a certain kind of risk. It requires a certain kind of vulnerability. And as a pastor in our community, I want to steward this well. I want to encourage our community to step into all that God has for us, And I desperately want us to become a community where healing happens. There is not a way forward for our community. There's not a way forward for our community to step into all that God has for us without becoming a community of healing prayer. There's just no other way forward. And so I realize that as we talk about healing prayer, there's a variety of responses happening in the room right now. And I want to speak to some of these different places you may find yourself in. And for each of you, I want to offer an invitation. So the first is one of my favorites. It's the skeptic. You've come in and you've thought, this church has been great. We've been talking about prayer. Nothing controversial there, right? And here the ball drops, right? Now here's where the weird stuff comes out. Like, dude, it was so nice here. The coffee was great. Now we're stepping in the weird stuff. I I hear you. And you may be tempted to think this is far-stretched. It's just simply wishful thinking, pipe dreams to believe in healing. But here's my invitation for you this morning. I want to invite you into a world of possibility that shatters cynicism with hope. Now, there is the wounded who are in the room as well. These are those who have asked for healing and did not receive it. And they've come in this morning carrying the pain Of that longing unfulfilled and this morning I want to invite you to behold the compassion of Jesus the wounded healer there are those who are the hopeful those who have come into this room hoping to encounter God a God with the power to heal and this morning I want to invite you to bring your pain to God and let us experience his goodness and lastly is the veterans. These are those who have been through every season imaginable, every kind of prayer, every kind of moment. They have seen God heal. They have dealt with disappointment. And through it all, they've seen the faithfulness of God. And to you this morning, I want to invite you to pray for me as I teach that we may encounter that which you have seen, that we may experience that which you have experienced in your journey with Jesus. And so wherever you find yourself on this journey, would you just this morning hold your ache before Jesus? And would you accept the invitation of the Spirit to let him speak directly to your ache today? We live in a broken world. That's not a newsflash for you. You know this. You experience this. You feel this. Chances are, not a single person in this room had nothing that they envisioned in their hands when it came to aching. We all have something. We all walk with some sort of a limp. And despite all of our progress and technological advances, things are still deeply broken. It is into this broken world that Jesus steps into. And as he beholds our world, it's simple. The world as we know it is not how it was meant to be. In the first few pages of the scriptures, we see God speak and breathe out creation, wonderful and teeming with life. Now, one of the funny misconceptions about the Garden of Eden is many people would associate Eden with the word perfect. That's fine. The only problem is the scriptures never make that claim. The scriptures never said, and as he created the earth, it was perfect, without flaw. But it does say this, as he created the world, it was good. You see, the world was wild and abundant, filled with life, and God had commissioned humans to partner with him and bringing out its maximum potential. When I think of Eden, often I think about like a pristine place. No stickers on the ground. We all have like the perfect beach bods, right? All the food is delicious. There's no like creepy crawlers or creepy bugs or snakes or anything of that kind, right? It's sublime. It basically looks like Hawaii in my mind, if I could totally be honest with you, right? That's my imagination. And that creation is just catering to me. But it's more like going out into the middle, middle of the wilderness is more what Eden was like. It's abundant. It's filled with life but it needs to be cultivated. It says that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden not to drink mimosas and take a nap, but to cultivate it, to work it, to bring it into being is how Adam and Eve were placed into the garden. However, this is not how the world stayed. Into God's world enters evil. Darkness spreads over creation. Creation. Shame covers Adam and Eve. And this darkness vandalizes the world God intended for his people. And the biblical authors call this darkness sin. And sin corrupts everything it touches. God's world was meant to bring forth life and beauty, but sin brings forth death and brokenness. And so all throughout the biblical narrative... God's people are looking towards a day where one would come along to deal with sin for good, overcome death, heal brokenness, brokenness, and push back the darkness. Isaiah envisions that day like this, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It is into this longing, waiting, and brokenness that Jesus steps onto the scene. Now, here's what's incredible. As Jesus arrives on the scene, the first sermon he gives in the synagogue is from this passage. He stands before the people in a meeting like this. He opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this passage before the community. And he gives one of the shortest sermons ever. All he says is, this has been fulfilled in your midst. Peace, right? And just dips out of the scene. In those few words, Jesus is saying so much. So much that the community wants to have Jesus killed. Because he just made an audacious claim. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. Now before you get all high and mighty on the Jewish people that day, oh, didn't you realize it was Jesus? How would you feel You walk into this gathering. I read this text before you and say, guys, I'm the Messiah. I feel this. You better run out the door, right? Something's deep. So don't get so angry with them. However, Jesus' life backed up his claims. How Jesus conducted his life affirmed the testimony he gave of himself. And he was the culmination, the fulfillment of all that the people had been looking for. But Jesus makes his mission clear in this moment in the synagogue, and it's this. He has stepped into the brokenness of the world to bring healing, to bring restoration. Now, we're going to talk about the practice of healing prayer today. Before we get there, there are three things that we need. John Wimber built this model, and he is one of the OGs on healing prayer. He's got a book, um, Power Healing. Highly recommend it. But there's three phases we need to move for: Theology, model, practice. These are three things we need for any community to understand. So first, as always, we begin with the theology. Now, as we, uh, before we jump into the weeds of the theological realities of healing, we need to first define our terms. What exactly are we talking about when we're talking about healing? The Greek word for healing is the word sozo. Can you say sozo? Sozo, yeah. I thought it would be a cool name for a coffee shop, but whatever. Sozo. And the idea here is to save, to deliver, to set free, to heal. This word is kind of a grab-all word that the biblical authors use to de- describe what it's like when you encounter the living God. It's not just about th- healing physical aches and pains. It's not less than that, but it's so much more. The biblical authors use this word to encapture... Encap- en- en- what it means when you encounter God, and what happens as you leave his presence. This word sozo is also the same word used for to save. So when someone would come to know Jesus, they'd receive salvation. Salvation, to be saved, is sozo. That famous line that Jesus says, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, to save is sozo. And so for the biblical authors, sozo encaptures All of this reality. It is healing, salvation, liberation, deliverance. These are all the same thing. These are all sozo. They're not separate ideas. It's all the exact same thing. And so when the biblical authors talk about healing, it is always holistic in scope. It is never just limited to the body. And so there's a few categories that we're talking about when we're talking about healing. First and foremost is healing from sin. One of my favorite stories in the gospels is there's a time where Jesus is teaching in a house and the house is packed it's filled with people they're standing room only and a couple of guys have their friend who is paralyzed and they hear word that Jesus is able to heal him and so what they do because they can't kind of carry him in through the crowd they said we're going to get creative about it we're going to go on the roof now, this is not a shingle roof or something like that. It's all straw and hay and mud. So what they start doing is just picking the roof apart. The one thing I find interesting is, can you imagine if you're the homeowner? Jesus is like, hey, do you mind if I use your house for a teaching? Sure, yeah, whatever. Then it's packed. It's slammed. You're trying to cater all these people. And then somebody's bright idea is to come through the roof, right? <laughs> and so they're digging out the roof, and they lower their friend down before Jesus, and they ask him to heal him. Now, Jesus' words to this man are so interesting Because he begins with, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want you to imagine you're the paralytic being lowered down the roof in this cot. And you finally get before Jesus, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And you're like, thanks. I'm glad that happened. However, I'm paralyzed. (laughs) That's why I'm here. Jesus sees sozo as in totality. And so before he deals with his physical illness, he deals with the illness of sin, and he first offers healing from that. And so this is where we begin in the conversation of healing, is first healing from sin. Secondarily is healing from the past and or healing from our memories, the breaking of curses, the healing from past drama. This is the scope of healing as well. It's not just physical in the body, but it's also about memories, about your past, about traumatic things that have happened. Jesus can touch those things and bring healing to those areas. In the scriptures as well, this also includes those who are demonized. Often, there's this close connection between someone who is demonized and an illness that they're experiencing. One of the ones that come to mind now is um, in the Gospels, there's a, a young boy who has these severe seizures that have been throwing him into the fire, into the water, and is... The dad comes deeply concerned and needing healing for his son. And as Jesus arrives on the scene, he discerns that the source of those seizures were demonic in nature. And so Jesus casts out that demon and the boy is healed. This does not mean that if you have a common cold, it's demonic. But what it is saying is that often in the scriptures, those two things can be paired. Not all the time, but they are paired some of the time. And so Jesus discerns that and casts out the the demon inside the child and he's healed. There's also that of healing of mental illness, that of the mind. There's the obvious one, which is the healing of the body. And then there's lastly the healing of the dead which Jesus and the dying, which Jesus did a handful of times, and Lazarus and the young girl in the Gospels. And so when we're talking about sozo, we're talking about all of that. Holistic healing. Not just aspects, not just portions, but all of it. Now, there's three scenes I want us to go through as we talk about healing theological, theologically. Healing in, is our story. Healing is a sign, and healing in our city. First, healing in our story. The story we find ourselves a part of, fundamentally, is a story of God healing brokenness. There's a scene in the Revelation where John is looking to the day that heaven and earth are reunited, and he says this, He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The completion of the story is total restoration. Now notice, the text does not say, I'm making new things. It's I'm making everything new. God is taking what is already and restoring it to a place of newness. That which the enemy and sin and death have corrupted and rotted and ruined, God makes whole again. It's not a shiny new toy that gets offered. It's the the framework. It's the shell of what God had initially attended, and we restore back to that. The next chapter, chapter 22 in Revelation, in the Revelation is all about Eden being restored again. We're back to the garden, but differently. And so the story of the scriptures from Eden to the new creation, we see God's plan of redemption to heal the world of sin and death and fully restore his presence on earth. Now... We have examples of healing in the Old Testament, which I don't have time for today, Um, but there are are a handful of examples where people are healed physically in the Old Testament, uh, particularly among the prophets. We don't have the time to go into their stories today, but it's littered with them, so you can go back and read it for yourself. The next movement in our story is that we find healing in Jesus. The whole story of healing culminates in the person and work of Jesus. All throughout his life and ministry, Jesus is going about doing what? Healing the sick and binding up the broken. That day that he announced in the temple, this is what I'm here to do. The rest of the gospels you'll read, he's doing exactly what he said he came to do. Heal the sick, release the captives. Um, free the demonized, etc. The gospels are saturated with stories of Jesus healing people, and he writes, "says this: the living God has come with healing and hope in Jesus Christ, has picked up the battered and dying world, and has bound up its wounds and set it on the road to full health. Jesus' whole ministry is doing this work: healing the sick, binding up the broken." Now, Jesus takes this ministry, this ministry of compassion, and he gives it to his disciples. And he asks them to do the same thing. We see two examples of this in the Gospels, and then we see this fully realized in the book of Acts. First, Jesus sends out the twelve. As he sends out the twelve, he empowers them by giving them the ability to heal the sick and cast out demons, and then he sends them, empowering and sending Later in the Gospels, he gets a larger group, the group of the 72. He empowers them, and he sends them. He gives his disciples the ministry of compassion that he's been doing. And this comes fully realized for all people that are his in the book of Acts. Jesus tells them to wait in, the, uh, to wait, uh, in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come, and then he will send them. And the promise is this. You will do greater works than these that he's been doing. Now, there's all sorts of conversation about what he means by greater, greater in quality or greater in quantity. Either way, he doesn't mean lesser. And so he sends his disciples out empowered and sent to go and to do this very work. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 10, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This ministry of compassion is now extended to the church. Now you might say, oh, well, that's just the disciples in the other day. We see this all over the book of Acts. As we see the church spreading around the world, it is spreading through signs and wonders of the kingdom. People are being healed all over the place in the book of Acts. And it's strange. It's weird. It's dudes falling out of windows and Paul laying on their body. It's Paul sending his handkerchief around and people getting healed. It is strange and wonderful, but healing is breaking through as a sign of the kingdom. But not only in the book of Acts, but all throughout church history, the church has advanced the kingdom and often it's looked like healing. Origen, one of the church fathers, says this, we too have seen, and this is in 250 AD, we too have seen many persons freed from grievous calamities and from distractions of mind, madness, and countless other ills which could be cured neither by men or devils. Later in history, one of my favorite people, Count Zinzendorf, says this, we have undeniable proofs thereof in the healing of maladies in themselves incurable. When the patient was in the agonies of death, all by means of prayer or word but it wasn't just miraculous healing the church has taken this on and has made it their mantle to be a community of healing so much so hospitals were started by followers of jesus and not because they went to med school and got a degree but because they took it upon themselves it is our job to care for the sick and the dying and so they did and put themselves at risks at risk The only um, hospitals that existed at the time were only for those who fought in the Roman military. But followers of Jesus, at their own expense, risking their own lives, opened up their homes and cared for the sick and the dying and prayed for their healing. We have the conception of modern hospitals today because followers of Jesus took the act of healing, the ministry of healing, seriously. And that's why many hospitals today have Christian connotations in its name because it's birthed out of these movements. Early in the monastic movement, you couldn't start a monastery unless you had an infirmary, a place to care for the sick and the dying. This is our story. We are meant to be a house of healing. Now, time fails to tell you about how deeply interwoven healing is with the community and the people of God, but to say it simply, it's this. The community of Jesus has always been known as a house of healing. Alan Scott says this, kingdom power was given to bring wholeness to the whole of humanity, and that's been given to the church, and it's our responsibility to steward. The church has been empowered, and we are being sent to continue the ministry of Jesus and healing in the world today. I have just a few questions for you. What would it look like if we became a house of healing? What would happen if, as people, we began to live into healing as a part of our story? What would our community look like if we took the call to pray for the sick and hurting seriously? I have a hunch it would look like Jesus. It would look like his ministry here on the earth. Now, that's healing as our story. Next is healing as a sign. And this brings us to our teaching text. So Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Two things always happen with Jesus, proclamation and demonstration. Jesus did not just come brokering a good message. He backed it up with divine power. Jesus came and said, I came to free the broken, and then did that exact work. First, he comes teaching and proclaiming. Before Jesus goes and, and models this ministry, and people think that it's just miraculous signs and wonders, he explains what's happening here. And he says it simply like this. This is what the kingdom looks like. And then he heals people. And he sets free the demonized. And he restores that which is broken. He is saying that the rule and reign of darkness and sin is over. A new kingdom has come. And this this kingdom of God has come and this is good news. But it wasn't just about proclamation, it was also demonstration. Jesus shows that the kingdom has come near with signs of the kingdom. He says this is what the kingdom looks like. It looks like healing. Healing from diseases, demonization, pain, paralyzation, even death. Jesus comes not just with good news that the reign of sin and death is over, but with signs that that kingdom has been overthrown and the kingdom of God has come near. Now there's something that happens in a handful of the accounts where Jesus heals people. And it's almost this throwaway line, but it's beautiful. It says that as Jesus looked out on them, he had compassion on them. Now, the word compassion, when I think about it, it means like, oh, bummer, dude, feel super bad for you. But that's not actually what the word compassion means. Come meaning with, passion meaning suffer. It's to suffer with. What we see modeled in the life of Jesus is not him like, ah, dude, bummer, you're in a real tough situation. But he comes to suffer with us. He comes to be with us. Here's something important for us to understand. I realize that as we're talking about healing, it can be easy to think about, but what about, but what about, but what about, and you fill in the blank. I live in the same world you do where I've prayed for people to be healed, and healing didn't come. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's the thing that we have to understand. Healing is a sign. It's not the substance. Healing is a sign of the kingdom. It's not the kingdom itself. The kingdom is where God rules and reigns. That would be like you mistaking the you are entering Los Lunas sign for Los Lunas on the way coming in by Walmart. You're like, this is it? It's the middle of desert nowhere? No, that's not it. It's just a sign of the place that's coming up. And so healing functions as that. It's signs of the kingdom. It's not the kingdom itself, but it's what the kingdom looks like. And it's a sign of the kingdom that's coming. And one day will be fully realized when all things come to completion. It's just a sign. And so we look for the sign, and we long for the sign because it means the kingdom is on its way but it is not the substance in and of itself. But in saying that, there's two things we have to hold in tension. It's a theology of suffering and a theology of healing. Both of these go hand in hand. It's two sides of the same coin on this side of the kingdom coming. Jesus had compassion. He came to suffer with us. Isaiah 53 says this, Surely he took up our pain Bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus, in having compassion and coming to suffer with us, gives us a theology of suffering gives us a theology and understanding that things won't, all, won't be all the way right until God's kingdom comes to fully realized here. And with Jesus being crucified, he makes healing available for us. But he's not just the God who suffers, he's also the God who makes us whole. By his stripes, the text says, we are healed. Jesus is at the same time the one who suffers And the one who heals. He is the wounded healer. And from his wound, he heals. So to be clear, healing is not what we aim for. It's not what our hope is in. It's merely a sign. It isn't the kingdom. It's the sign of the kingdom. Because at best, healing is what? Temporary. I mean, let's say, think Lazarus' story. Of all the healings, his is the most extra and dramatic, right? Dude was dead for a couple days. Jesus has raised him back to life. That's a pretty crazy story and a pretty dramatic healing. But guess what? Lazarus ultimately what? Died. And there was not another resurrection after that, right? There was no round two. Not until Jesus' kingdom comes in full reality and Lazarus is raised again. But at best, at very best, all healing is temporary until the kingdom comes. And so our hope is not fully rested in that. We can pray for it. We can long for it. We can hope for it. But our hope is not in it. It's in a person who is Jesus, who brings his kingdom. All healing is meant to point us towards the healer, the one who has the power to do that. And so we must hold a theology of suffering and a theology of healing hand in hand. And that's the theology of healing. Let's get into a model. First, I want to say this. Healing is kind of complex, if we could be totally honest. We live in what the biblical scholars call the already and the not yet. The idea is that the kingdom is already here, and at the exact same time, it's not yet fully realized. The kingdom is here, and it's on the way. And so we live in the in-between phase, the place where we are experiencing the signs of the kingdom, but God does not fully rule and reign here as he will someday. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because it's currently not, but we long to see it fully realized. And so, it's God's desire to bring every single person to wholeness again. Some of us may experience that sooner than later, but we will all experience it eventually. Our job as followers of Jesus is to learn to live in the tension and pray for it to be So, now, what about when healing doesn't happen? First thing we have to understand is this. Pain and suffering do not come from God. I think there's a really unhealthy theology out there that interprets every bad situation as God's will. A cancer diagnosis, the losing of a loved one, a suicide, and says, well, God has a plan. That's God's will. And I think the only problem with that is the scriptures, To assign responsibility to God for things of evil means he's directly involved in sin, which compromises his personhood. It compromises his integrity. All of those things are willed and purposed by the evil one. And so we think about Romans 8, that famous verse, and we're like, all things work for good to those who love God and call their corner's his purpose. What that text is not saying is that God willed all those things. Here's what that text is saying God will use the things willed for evil for good. It isn't that an example of Joseph that as he's been sold into slavery and has is, is, is struggled and fought and clawed and he finally interacts with his brothers again who sold him in that very place, he says this line What you meant for evil, God meant for good. The very thing that the enemy uses to drive his dagger into our beings is the very thing that God can use to glorify himself. It is not from his hand, but he can use it, repurpose it, and give it new creation. And isn't that the atonement? Isn't that the cross? That what the enemy meant to murder the Son of God became the very way of salvation for all of humanity? That as the enemy was sinking its teeth into the embodied God, it was that very purpose that God was using triumph to triumph over his enemies. It is the story of the crucifixion. It is our story. And this is where we find ourselves here. Secondly, I'd say this. I think ultimately healing is, is ultimately the will of God. Now, some of that may not happen on this side, and I fully realize that. I think about Paul when he's asking for the thorn in his flesh to be removed, and the answer from above is, my grace is sufficient for you. But Paul's wounds were fully healed when he got into the presence of the Lord and will be fully healed when he receives his resurrected body. That is the ultimate hope that all things will ultimately be healed. Now, what does healing look like? Super interesting in the Gospels Not a clear formula for healing, right? If we were to try to, like, derive together a model for healing in the scriptures, it would be pretty wonky, right? Sometimes Jesus is there, and he touches them and says, you're healed. Okay, pretty simple. Sometimes he's in a different city and says, don't worry about it, they're healed. Okay? Sometimes he says, oh, stretch out your hand or pick up your mat or get up. Okay, that's an example. Sometimes he spits in the ground, makes a mud patty, wipes it in the dude's eyes and says, go clean in a pool. <laughs> There's not a clear model, okay, is basically what I'm trying to say. What I'm not saying is for your coworker at work, come outside with me really fast, right, and make some mud, put it in your eyes, trust me, you know. That's not all oh, what the biblical authors are trying to do. And I think it's with intention because if there was a clear model, we'd put our hope in the model, not in the one who heals, And so there's not a clear model in the scriptures for what healing looks like. Healing comes in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes it comes through prayer. Sometimes it comes through medication. Sometimes it comes through treatments and doctor's visits, and those kind of healing comes in so many different forms. Richard Foster says this, God joyfully employs an infinite variety of means to bring health and well-being to his people. We are glad for God's friends, the doctors, who with skill and compassion help our bodies fight against disease and sickness. We rejoice for every advance of modern psychiatry and psychology as better ways are discovered to promote the healing of the deep mind. We also celebrate the growing army of women and men and children who are learning how to pray, how to bring healing power of Christ to others for the glory of God and for the good of all concerned. Healing looks different every time. So there's not a clear model other than us asking God to heal. That's it. That's all we have in the scriptures. That's a cohesive thing all the way through is us asking God to heal. So, yes, healing is complicated, but also healing is pretty simple. It is our job to pray. It is God's job to heal. Now, in the scriptures, we see that um, it's been misunderstood that people have the gift of Healing. Healing is listed in 1 Corinthians 12, not among, like, a talent or a gift an individual possesses, but under a category of things called manifestations of the Spirit, which is a fancy way to say things the Spirit likes to do. So biblically speaking, you don't have the superpower of healing, right? Because if you did, you'd be clearing out hospitals. But what you do have is access to the Spirit who has the power to heal, So we open ourselves up, we ask, and sometimes God heals through us. So it's not a power you possess, it's a power you have access to. And that power is bound up in a person who is the Spirit, who gives those things. And so our job isn't to heal. You're not going to conjure it up. There's not like a loud enough worship track you could play, and you can't. You don't have to like wear sandals so like you're in the shoes of Jesus' time or something, you know. There's no formula in that way. All you do is simply ask, and the Spirit decides you, to heal or not through you. We will become a people who pray for healing because it's who we are, and it's what we're called to do. John Wimberson, this obedience to God's word is the fundamental reason that I pray for the sick and receive prayer personally. Even when I do not see healing as a result of those prayers, I decided long ago that if 100 people receive prayer and only one is healed, it is better than if none receive prayer and none is healed. That's our heart. There's no guarantees. There's no promises. There's this thing. Look, we're going to ask. And sometimes God responds. And sometimes we see healing. So absolutely, we're going to ask. Now, I did a lot of work in terms of unanswered prayer, so if you have more questions about that, there's a whole sermon on that. But I did want to speak into a few things. I know you feel the tension. You read the book of Acts, and then you come to our Sunday gathering, and you're like, things look a little different, right? Our goal is to integrate those realities, is that our church would look like the early church, in its culture, in its expression today. But we do see a chasm in terms of power. If I'm totally honest, a lot of the Western American church has lost that kind of power. Around the world, in third world countries, it's absolutely there. Because there's no Netflix and WebMD and all other stuff to pull them away. There's just praying and asking God, so they do. And they don't run to Twitter to talk about what just happened. They don't even have internet access. They just ask God and he healed them and they rejoice over it. And testimony is heard amongst the people. And so I think there's all sorts of reasons why we don't see prayer like it is today. First, I think it's because of secularism. When you find out someone is sick, what is the first thing you do? You ask them what medication they're taking, have you seen your doctor, all that kind of stuff, and those are good do those things. This sermon is not, so out with medicine, we're going back to the old, well, anything like that. But why isn't our first response to ask the God who can heal and then encourage them to take their medicine and see their doctor, right? Why isn't that our first response? And why is it when someone feels better, the immediate response is, medication must have worked. Oh, man, it was that thing that really helped you. Good. Yeah, you just needed some sunlight and a nap or whatever. And look, there's really practical realities for healing, But we're also often dismissing God out of the equation altogether all the time. We take on a worldview that is more shaped by Western culture than being followers of Jesus. And this is not to say to disregard any of those things. I already explained all of that. It's to say adding God to the equation (laughs) and inviting God into the place of pain. That is our responsibility as followers of Jesus. Secondarily, I think it's because of cultural Christianity frankly speaking, because a lot of people don't really follow Jesus. They ascribe to theological categories that Jesus may or may not possess, but they don't actually follow the resurrected Jesus. They're not actually in step with the spirit. And so they're not in tune with what God is doing in the world around them. They just ascribe to the ideology that Jesus, pre- that their ideology of Jesus presents forth. Thirdly, it's because we've had a failure to make disciples. How many times have you been told it's your job to pray for the sick? That's not you bring them to the church and the church pastors do it. It's your job as a believer, filled with the power of the Spirit, to pray for the sick. That's your job. That's what you've been called to do. It's not for the professional Christians or the ones who are on staff. It is you, filled with the Spirit of God, to carry the kingdom with you wherever you go and pray for the kingdom to come wherever it is you go and pray for the sick and the hurting. Many of us don't even have categories for how to pray for the sick because we don't think it's our job. It's somebody else's, or I just put it in the Slack channel and hope that people do it there. No, it's you. You've been called there. You've been commissioned there to pray for healing. And lastly, because we're so dang busy, we fill our schedules and our times and our weeks up full to the max. So even if there was an opportunity, we would ignore it. All of the healings in the gospel come as inconvenience to Jesus. He's always on the way somewhere else where someone comes and asks him for healing. He's in the middle of a teaching, and people are waiting in line to get healed. He's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter when the woman with the issue of blood asks for healing. He's on his way to one healing, and he gets interrupted by another. The way we see the kingdom come is that we are willing to be interrupted by invitations to partake in it. And frankly, we miss those opportunities because we're just too dang busy. I don't have time for that right now. I got to get to my next thing. So, now we're going to talk about the practice of healing prayer. How do you do this for somebody? Because, again, it's not your job to say, hey, Pastor Andrew, someone's really sick. Can you come pray for them? It's your job as a believer to pray for that individual. So, how do you do it? The best way, I think, is often through a series of questions. The first one is this Where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? What's going on right now? It's my wrist. It's my back. It's my mind. It's my son-in-law. It's my marriage. It's something that happened to me in the past. It's whatever. Where does it hurt? And having them share that with you there. The next question is this. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Often, when we hear somebody's issue, we think it's our job to fix it. Right? I have back problems. All right, let's fix your back. Maybe that's not what they want. Maybe they're looking for peace or strength or guidance as they deal with their back issues. Oftentimes, when Jesus healed somebody, he would ask them, What do you want me to do for you? And then, Oh, I want my eyes healed. Perfect. Let's pray for that. But he would ask them, What is it you want me to do for you? So before we rush in and say, Oh, healing and bring, ask them, What is it exactly that you're wanting Jesus to do for you now? I'm wanting him to give me peace. I want him to give me strength. I'm wanting him to give me wisdom. I want him to bring full and total healing. The next question to ask is this. How does God want me to pray? So before you pray for them, ask the Lord, how is it that you want me to pray? And open yourself up to what the Spirit might be speaking. Now, those are the questions you ask. Now, let's get really practical. The next thing you do is you lay hands with permission. (laughs) This is super important. You're just going to grab your co-worker and start praying over them. You ask, would it be okay if I put my hand on your shoulder and prayed for you? And if appropriate, asking permission to lay that hand in the area of hurt, if it's in an area that's appropriate, head, shoulder, arm, wrist, whatever. There's so much biblical precedent for this. All throughout the scriptures we see believers laying hands on individuals, particularly for healing as well. We have examples in the book of James, in the book of Acts, et cetera. Lay hands with permission. Is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? Yes. And then what do you do next? You pray. You ask God to heal, to do the thing. And you don't have to, like, conjure up some, like, super sophisticated prayer, pray all these theological points. you just like, God, we know that darkness was in the face. You don't have to do all of that. Just, Jesus, please heal. And often what's a helpful practice is to speak to the thing. If it's lungs, if it's a wrist, if it's a neck issue, Wrist, heal, lungs open. We see this all throughout the scriptures. Jesus tells the man with the shovel, hand, "Reach out your hand, pick up your mat." He speaks the specific thing, and then after you prayed, say, "Is it better?" And if the answer is no, nope, still so the same, we'll pray again. Right? There's this famous story of Jesus healing a blind man, and he prays for him to be healed. And guess what happens? It doesn't work. Jesus is like, "So can you see?" And he's like, "People look like trees." Last time I thought, I looked around, you guys don't look like trees. So that didn't work. So Jesus prays again and he's healed. Sometimes it takes persistency in prayer to see the breakthrough come through. So you pray again. And sometimes God still doesn't heal. But that's what we commit to keep on praying until he does or until the kingdom comes. And that's it. Where does it hurt? What do you want Jesus to do for you? How do you want me to pray? and then to lay hands with permission to pray and to keep praying. So I want to pray for us now. Would you stand, would you join me by standing? And uh, closing your eyes again, I want to take you back to where we started. With the ache that you're holding. So if you would, place your hands out again. And imagine that ache there. What is it you've carried with you today? What is it that's weighing in your heart today? What is it you need healing from Jesus today? I just want you to hold it before Jesus. church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to heal right now. The areas of ache. I'm going to pray for us as a community. But the Spirit is inviting some of you to receive prayer today in a laying hands kind of way. And if that's you... I want to invite you to come to the front. Again, there's nothing special. Someone's just going to come around next to you and ask you these same questions. Where does it hurt? What do you want Jesus to do for you? And we're going to pray for you. The last time we did this, we saw God respond. There was an individual with a stomach issue that the Holy Spirit revealed where the root of that was. And they received healing. And we believe that this is what Jesus longs to do today. So we're going to ask him. But as I said before, it's going to require risk. It's going to require being vulnerable. So I'm going to pray for us. And as I do, if you need healing for something, would you come forward? It would be our joy to pray with you. Come, Holy Spirit. spirit, I want to pray against any voice of doubt that may be in the room. Your, your thing isn't big enough. It's not important enough. It's not like the person next to you. So don't, I pray against those voices now and that you'd be just cultivating a spirit of faith in this community now. And Jesus, I pray that you'd heal. You are the great physician. You have not come for the healthy, but for the sick. You've come to make things whole again. So, Jesus, we appeal to that heart. We appeal to the crucifixion, the fact that by your stripes we are healed. And we ask you, Jesus, would you come? Would you heal in our midst right now, God? And you see, you see the thing in every person's hand. You know the thing that's weighing them down. You know the thing that's been causing a limp. And I believe today, God, you want to set some of them free. God, would you just cultivate a spirit of boldness to come forward and receive prayer for healing? And that we may that we may stand in the sign of the kingdom, rejoicing in the kingdom that is to come. Come, Holy Spirit.